I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to All Uruguay Aren't We, a podcast in which Uruguay fans cast their combined eye over the goings on at the Estadio Centenario, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at the Uruguayan national football team. I'm Tom Alderson, the Rasmus Christensen centre-back redemption season of the podcast. Tom Woodhead is so, so happy right now. And I'm joined today by the big Sam Bollocking of the podcast, Martin Riley. I'm not angry at you, I'm just disappointed. And finally, I'm joined by the 11 leaders in this team of the podcast. Goodbye. It's Tom Eamon Hostikundal. How are you doing, Tom? Yeah, not too bad. It's, uh, it's been a tough week with uni work this week, so um, I was up till four o'clock in the morning on Tuesday night, having lost 4,500 4, words and having to redo it. So um, yeah, it's nice to have that out of the way and sorted and be able to discuss Legion items. Yeah, I've, I've had a similar sort of situation there this week, so I had a, actually, I had a job interview today which I had to prepare a presentation for, and I decided that, well, my water bottle in my bag decided to leak on my way home from work yesterday and destroy my laptop. Um, and luckily, luckily, the nice IT man at where I work managed to record my presentation, and I still managed to do it. Um, but leaders to say I was incredibly stressed uh, last night, so I, I feel your pain on that one, and I've, I've had that happen to me with uni work before. Like when, I was, when I was writing my dissertation, I had it on one external hard drive and then another external hard drive, and like it was the stress just was ridiculous. But um, Martin, any like stresses with losing work or anything this week, or just have you had to just be having nice food all week as usual? Well, no, nothing as stressful as what um, Hostie has had there. Um, no, uh, the only thing eventful that's happened recently, we're having our fence redone in the back garden, so we've had someone in today just tearing down the old rickety fence and finding that it's totally messed up. Behind it, there's just a lot of really dodgy concrete work put into the the old fence, and yeah, so it's just a a nightmare for the person who's doing it, not for me. So that's okay, but yes, uh, good food had. Had a nice um, cheeseburger before I started, and some nice chips. Yes, that's all good. Very nice. Yeah, Tom, what about you? What what food you had tonight? Uh, 
just chicken and rice. No, no seasoning. Jack Harrison special. <laughs> yeah, Jack, Jack Harrison special. Yeah, I had a lovely bit of pork with some um, potatoes and some some mushrooms, which was was lovely. Um, but cool. But um, before we move on to discussing the Newcastle game, we will talk about very briefly about what I hinted to in the introduction. So, does anybody want to say anything about Bielsa getting a new job? Um, and if anything that springs to mind, is everyone going to be watching the Uruguayan team now, like like the rest of us? Most definitely. Um, I'm absolutely overjoyed that Bielsa is back in work and we'll soon be able to watch his football live again. And it's going to be interesting to see what he does with some of the players in the Uruguay team, um, especially Valverde. He's, I think he's going to be quite quite special under Bielsa. So yeah, I'm quite looking forward to seeing that. And maybe in a few years we'll see um, Uruguay against Jesse Marsh's US, USMNT. That would be fun. <laughs> that, yeah. has, that has got like 2-0 USA written all over it, hasn't it? Oh yeah, <laughs> most, most definitely. Most think, definitely. If I'm right, I think actually that's kind of... Well, I think USA are lined up as summer friendlies or some form of competition with Uruguay um, this summer, maybe. Uh, I could be also completely wrong. Um, yeah, I'm just really glad that he's not at Everton or Bournemouth. Yeah, definitely agree Obviously with that. That nearly happened. Um, and yeah, it's good, good to see him back. It's good to see him looking well. He's looking, he's looking good. And yeah, it was nice to hear him speaking philosophical again, philosophically again regarding you know football, football for the fans and currently. A lot of people in the football industry are ruining it. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, no, it was good to hear him talking that sort of way again. Yeah, he was on he was on top form, really. What he was on some of those, I don't, I don't speak Spanish, so I didn't hear all of it. But I saw a few bits that have been translated by, um, I think, uh, Juan Hinema, and he's he always does some good good ones. And yeah, I saw one. It was quite good to see Bielsa back in press conferences. Yeah, enjoyed that. Yeah, it was all the stuff that we. Grew to, grew to love with Bielsa and yeah like you say not a club team so can enjoy it even more but I'll end up watching Uruguay games at stupid o'clock in the morning now so got that to look forward to um, cool so um, let's move on to the Newcastle review then so as usual we will start with a game summary so Leeds again utilised a 4-1-4-1 shape Newcastle had most of the ball in the opening few minutes with Leeds happy to allow them to have the ball and then the first goal was scored just seven minutes into the game when um, Bamford drifted in the cross. Rodrigo got a good head onto it and then Pope saved it, but Ailing was ready and waiting to convert from close range. Following the opening goal, Newcastle continued dominating possession, but weren't able to convert their possession to any decent chances. And then in the 27th minute, Junior Firpo was brought down inside the box. Unfortunately, the resulting penalty was taken by Bamford and saved by Nick Pope. Then a few minutes following this penalty, Firpo and Werber Firpo and Werber combined their powers to give away a penalty to Newcastle, which Callum Wilson dispatched with ease. Following this goal, the rest of the first half continued much the same way, with Newcastle holding possession and Leeds only trying to attack in counter-attacking situations. And then the second half continued largely the same as the, as the first half. Um, Leeds did manage to have some possession, but neither team created any good chances. And then in the 69th minute, Junior Firpo gave away a second penalty, which Callum Wilson again put away, making the score 2-1. After this, Leeds did see some more of the ball, with Newcastle seemed happier to sit back a bit, hoping to keep hold of their lead. However, this didn't happen thanks to Rasmus Christensen, distracted shot, found at the back of the net in the 78th minute. Both teams had some minor chances following this, but the only thing worth mentioning after the second goal was Junior Firpo being sent off for a, um, a late second yellow card, as he was adjusted to have brought down Anthony Gordon in the 90th minute, and the game stayed 2-0 with Leeds bringing home a potentially crucial point. Does that sound good to everyone, or is there anything we might have missed there? Sounds good to me. Good stuff. Um, in which case, we'll move on to the interrogation. 
So this is the interrogation where I, I ask the guys a couple of questions just so we can sort of get into the meat of the game and work out what exactly happened um, at half past 12 last Saturday, which seems a while ago now. Uh, but Martin, let's start with you. So did you see any differences in the way we set up out of possession in this game compared to the Man City game? Um, well, I think it was a slightly different pressing structure in the in the first half, um, especially when Newcastle had the ball in deeper areas. I think uh, you saw Rodrigo joining Bamford in the forward press uh, more than what what we saw. Well, it wasn't Rodrigo in the previous game, but yeah. So the, then that but that reverted back into like a four one four one as Newcastle progressed, but it was still similarly passive after it got past the opening build up phase of Newcastle's build up, um, and. That changed a little bit more in the second half, I felt. I think there was a bit more... It wasn't quite as passive in the second half. It was still pretty passive, but it wasn't quite as passive as it was in the first half. Um, but And I think McKenney was also pressing higher up in the pitch, especially in the second half. Um, we switched more to like a 4-2-3-1, I think. Um, this the way I saw it anyway, with him joining um, Bamford and Rodrigo to press a little bit higher, which I think that did help to... I think it created some moments which were good. Nothing really was gained from it, but it was still a difference to what we saw against City. So yeah, that's the main things that I saw. Tom, do you do you think those differences were like an actual difference in setup, or do you just think it's down to the fact that um, we played Man City one game and we played Newcastle another game, and there's obviously quite a big gap between those two teams ability wise. Um, yeah, it, like Martin was saying, it, it was quite similar. There were some things that were a bit different. So against Man City, we sat quite deep, and I think Sam spoke. Sam and I spoke about like um, second half pushing up a bit more in the City game. And I felt like at the start of this game, we tried to do that. There was a moment when we kind of saw that I think it was in the second half though, really tried to hold the line in between the penalty spot and uh, the edge of the box, and otherwise it wasn't. There wasn't too much of a difference. Greenwood was poor in his positioning at times, and he just he, he was caught ball watching from his position. I felt quite a bit, and so when Forshaw came on, that that showed things up. And I felt something which wasn't mentioned, and probably in probably in a good way, was that I felt Robin Cock had a really good game in the middle. In for someone who doesn't play there all the time, um, he was also in the first half. He was pressing quite high up. So against Man City, Forshaw. I think someone had mentioned why, like Forshaw was being the one. Uh, oh, I think someone mentioned that Forshaw was kind of like the one that was pressing quite high up from the midfielders, which shocked everyone. And with in possession, him being more of a deeper player, um, Cox seems to have that role a bit in the first half. And then, as Martin said, McKenney kind of took over that. Um, and those three were a lot more disciplined in that defensive shape. Was it effective? It was effective in the sense of that we limited Newcastle to basically the penalties. Um and that's the only way that it was effective. I don't think it created as I don't think it created much for us going forward. I don't think we were much better in that sense, in an offensive sense. Yeah, um I'll come back to that that the, the end of that because that's like that's sort of the second question. But for me it's like um with with obviously uh coming in, what was it, the middle of it's about two weeks ago now, maybe a bit but after that. So there's there's only like so much time he could probably do preparation before that city game. So I guess a deep block was pretty much the the extent of the t- time he had, because um, I imagine he had what two training sessions at most. I, I guess. Um, whereas, like, you definitely could see differences here. Whether that was because we had more opportunity to push out, I guess as well. Um, but you can 
you could see different, definitely different, especially differences from Gracia's time, and obviously even further back, you go from Marsh's time as well. So yeah, I, I do think there were differences out of position, but I probably agree. Like I don't know how. I, I guess it was effective in limiting chances outside penalties, but um, there was probably an, an effect on the play going forward, which uh, brings us nice, nicely on to the next point. Actually, so I'll come back to you on this, Tom. Um, so there was quite a drastic increase in XG created in this game um, in comparison to the City game. So you've kind of hinted at this already, but do you actually think we're any better in possession compared to the Man City game? Um, no, I, I really don't. I, I watched the game back literally two or three hours ago, and um, again, the chances that we created were, they were, it was really nothing. So you've got the Rodrigo header, which leads to Ailing's goal. So there is, I think, about 0.9, because Ailing's goal is 0.8. So that's instantly, essentially, one XG. And that, that's not been created in that sense. Like, Ailing, Pope should do better. Pope shouldn't just give that to Ailing, essentially. So we haven't created that. Um, and that's, going through the timeline, that's exactly the same with every chance, barring the penalty, because of the penalty being 0.77. So really, when we take away the tapping and the penalty, I think we end with 0.6, and Newcastle, without their penalties, end on 0.8, I think. So even when we say that we limited them to chances, we still didn't create good enough chances to be what we limited in that sense. So I don't think we were that much better in possession. I do think, and I know that we were going to talk about him, I think Bamford was better at holding up the ball and bringing people into play um, in possession in that sense. But then, again, we didn't do enough off that. Yeah, and I think it's the same sort of thing from the, the uh, first question as well. Is like It's Newcastle versus playing City, so... We are going to have more chances to get out and look better in possession because we're going to have some possession. But yeah, I definitely agree. Like it did, the out of possession stuff did definitely have an impact on our ability to create. Um, I think the, yeah, the way you broke down the the XG numbers there, like it kind of suggests that like to a draw was probably fair when you take remove the penalties. So, um, Martin, what are you what are you thinking on this one? Uh, pretty much the same as uh, Hostie there. It's it was really no better at all. Um, if it was just. So tough to watch. I mean, the fact that we were time-wasting from the third minute. <laughs> Just, I mean, I accept time-wasting is a thing with Allardyce teams, and but maybe not from the third minute. Just, it, just, it just grinds against me, it really does. And like you said there, the, most of the XG came from one entry into the, into the box. I think we maybe entered the box three or four times in the match. Um, one of those was the goal one of them was the penalty um, and I can't really remember the other ones but there weren't very many entries into the penalty box and it just it really showed I think maybe in the second half we were a little bit better at it um, especially when Forshaw came on um, he was so good <laughs> I felt in the second half he completed the most passes had the most progressive passes and had the most passes into the final third and he only played 45 minutes so that just tells you everything about the difference that he made. So, um, but there's only so much even Forsh can do because um, there's still a, bit, a lot of long balls being played in this system, and especially uh, Rasmus Christensen. He attempted 16. Well, no, sorry, I'm looking at that wrong. Sorry, he, he, he attempted, I think, 10 long long balls, and so that, that was quite a big percentage of the passes that he did attempt. I think about a third of the passes that he attempted were, were long balls. So there was a lot more long balls than normal, and it just—it's so low percentage football, and it just—it wasn't pretty at all. Yeah, and 
another thing with regarding the low percentage football and the personnel, something which I spotted was when we went 2-1 down, you've got Forshaw playing a fantastic line-breaking pass into the back line, and the player who's there in this good position to receive it is the player from the midfield that you don't want, and it's Robin Cock. And as good as he was, Robin Cock in that attacking midfield area isn't where you want him, but he's now been pushed up because we're playing long balls, so we're trying to get the guy who can win the ball to knock it down. And it, But when you play the ball on the floor to him, it, it, it doesn't work, and that's where things are falling down as well. Um, and I just think we, if that if it was McKenney in that position, we probably would, might have seen something different. But yeah, just the way that we're trying to create and the profile of players that we have makes it difficult. Yeah, um, it's kind of quite an interesting part on the, the low percentage stuff, because I think it was John in our group chat suggest he was suggested that it's not been talked about really that our three goals under Allardyce have all been pretty lucky really. Um, obviously there's Rodrigo's goal against City, which I can't remember which player like absolutely shot the head. Yeah, but then then there's the Pope palming it to Ailing, and then um, what was the other? Well, Christensen's deflection. So if you take those goals out and you're suddenly looking at like, well, you can't just take goals out because it doesn't work like that. But there is a big slice of luck in which people are saying that we're getting positive results at the moment. I think um, so. I can see why people are positive on the way it's been gone so far, but I think there's been a huge element of luck to it, and I don't, th- I don't think that. Um, well, I think the way we play, like you guys suggesting, is we- there will be a huge element of luck in the remaining two games because we're not going to create chances any other way, really. But I guess right, right now that's that's what all, all we need. Yeah, right? is we we limit we limit the chances and we hope that we get lucky with what we create and that we put them away. Um, and that going into two games, if that gets to six points, that keeps us up. Yeah. In in like if you if we nick two wins from playing this sort of way, then it, it's worked. I mean, to be fair to Allardyce, he's come in and that's ex- he said he's done exactly what he said he's going to do. He tried to shore up the defense, and like he's like hopefully we can get a goal on it. He is doing exactly what he said he was going to do. So um, we can't really criticize him for trying that because he's he's doing what he said he was going to do. Um, cool. So. Next question then. So, uh, Tom Woodhead's favourite player now. So, how do you think Rasmus Christensen has done in his two games under centre-back uh, centre under Allardyce Martin? Um, I haven't minded him for, for the most part. Um, he's generally been solid when it's been com- coming to defensive situations. He's been doing good at covering um, for other players as well, I felt. And I think part of that is because he does have pretty decent recovery pace which um, does help because we don't have any really I think suppose Robin Cock is the only other one who you've got who has some recovery pace and even then it's not a great deal so I, I do think I have generally enjoyed Rasmus more at centre back than I have enjoyed him at right back um, so yeah I think overall he's he's been doing pretty good for me but mostly on the, the defensive side I'd say yeah, yeah I'd agree with that what about you Tom um, yeah I think it's kind of, I agree with mine, it kind of, I was thinking about this question, um, remind me when we got in Heckingbottom and Janssen said, we have we have clear defined roles now and we know exactly what we've got to do and it's pretty, and it's quite simple and he was talking like basically just defend, right? And so I think for me like Christensen's been tasked with that of mark a player, clear everything that comes into the box, get the ball out, which is probably why he's doing all the long passes that we're seeing, and yeah, he's doing the job that Allardyce is asking. If this was Christensen doing this exact same role at centre-back in a Bielsa team, <laughs> you'd say that he's not doing, you'd say that he's being terrible. Though. So it's just, he's literally, he's currently a square peg in a square hole for Allardyce, but it wouldn't, it 
wouldn't work for me anywhere else. Would it work? Well, you kind of hinted there, but like, say, like next season, do you think it's something we could see from him under certain managers, or do you think maybe under a if we're trying to move to more more possession based game, his future would be a right back? What, what do you think on that one? I don't know where his future lies. <laughs> Hopefully, away from to, Leeds, but like, it comes if to he has to be here. Um, I re- like he looks quite comfortable when he plays for Denmark at right wing back, um, and they play a bit more possession style. But it's also international football, and it's totally different kettle of fish in that sense. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't know where his future lies. I also have absolutely no idea what we're going to do manager wise. <laughs> you know, the, the way that we don't know who's going to be in charge. So if it's Ragazzani, you know, he could. He could go for the stars again and try and get someone who's as big as Bielsa. He apparently wanted Conte, didn't he, as well, around about that time. Um, but he could also go, well, that Phil Parkinson's won a promotion, so let's get him in. <laughs> you, don't, you don't know what goes on in that guy's head. No, no, I don't think anyone will ever will. Um, I just think it's, there's a bit of an irony isn't there, that we signed a left-back in Werber who's ended up playing centre-back, and we've signed a right-back in Christensen who's ended up playing centre back as well. So both from Salzburg. Both from Salzburg. So yeah, good another tick in Victor Orta's recruitment box on that one. Right, next question now. So let's all go around Patrick Bamford's house and talk about this. So uh Patrick Bamford's missed a penalty on Saturday. Footballers do miss penalties. Um shocking I know. But looking past the unfortunate miss, Tom, how do you think he played? Yeah, I alluded to it earlier. Um I thought he played really well. Like some of the touches and hold up play that he did, bringing other players in, um, was really good. Obviously, he put in the cross for Rodrigo, which then led to Ailing's goal. There was some really good hold up play at the end of the first half, which then Greenwood spooned a shot um, high and wide. And I think at that point, also the camera cuts to Allardyce, and he, he's kind of like get him off regarding Greenwood at that <laughs> point. That, that was the final straw for him. But no, I thought he played really well. It was why he only came off when Firpo got red carded um in instead of like he didn't he chose not he chose to take Rodrigo off earlier than he chose to take Bamford off. And I think kind of there's been a lot of talk of Rodrigo should have just taken the penalty. But what if we we don't know that he would have scored that either, right? We could be sat here going, Well why didn't Bamford take the penalty? You know, he's our number nine, he's the number nine striker if Rodrigo missed it. So yeah, I, I thought he played really well. I don't think we can attribute much to a penalty miss. Yeah, okay, it's a big chance of scoring, but like you said, it happens. Footballers miss penalties. John Bostock missed a penalty for Notts County on Saturday in the playoff final. He got away with it. We didn't get away with it because we didn't go too well. But yeah. yeah, Martin, what are your thoughts on this? Pretty much the same as Hosty. I felt overall his, his contribution to the game was good. Um, he did as much as he could with the ball of what he was exposed to in this game. He was quite solitary a lot of the time, not having much support around him. And I think he did as much as he could to bring other players into the game, which is what you want your number nine to do in a system of Aldice and Aldice's system. And Sam isn't shy about taking players off when he feels that they have been crap and deserved a bollocking. So if he if he if he felt that he'd been playing crap, he would have taken him off a lot sooner than what he had. He would have hooked him off at half time if he felt that the penalty miss was that much of a big deal. And like I said, perhaps football he did miss it, which is not good. But footballers do miss penalties, and I just feel that with everything that's been going on with him recently, it's not surprising that he missed it. And yeah, there is, I think there is something in the fact that maybe someone else could have tried to take it. But at the end of the day, he is our number nine. 
if I if I number nine can't pick up the ball and say I'm taking this penalty, and it's not about selfishness in my opinion. I've seen some people saying that it's selfish of him to try to take this penalty, but he wants to help the team. He he didn't want to miss that penalty. No one is saying that he did want to miss a penalty. He is trying his best to help help the team, and he tr- he tried a bit too hard and failed in that moment, and that will happen. But he didn't let it affect him, and he continued doing, having the same contribution throughout the rest of the match, which is something to be saluted because a lot of players' heads would have dropped in a similar situation and start putting passes out out of play, uh, just generally being being crap on the ball. But he that didn't happen with him. Um, when he most of the time he, when he had the ball, he, he did make some some good out of it, even if it wasn't only minimal because he had so little support. Yeah, can only echo um, both both you guys there. Um, definitely on that. That our first goal that his his play for that was very good and like if you want to say why he's missed a penalty we should have had that second goal well I don't think we had the first goal without him so you can't can't have it um both ways but yeah it's um yeah I've, I think we've, we we talked about the, the Bamford stuff online last week don't we so I don't think we need to touch on that anymore um really um Martin I think you you kind of touched on this already but do you actually think the penalty miss is the reason that we um didn't win that game or do you just think there was other factors in play? I think obviously it, it was didn't help the situation but at the end of the day two other players also gave away penalties in the same game so Bamford made, made one mistake two other separate players have made mistakes to... Junior Furbo's put his hand on the South Stand's roof yeah exactly right. exactly <laughs> exactly to get for that can you and uh, he Furbo even had his part in, in the first in the first penalty as well he fell over which put put Werber in a more difficult situation but again Werber didn't need to, to dive into that and that was as big a mistake as Bamford missing the penalty so there's a collection of mistakes which have led to us not winning that game. It's not just on Bamford's penalty miss, even though obviously it didn't help. But like we said, if he wasn't on the pitch to to, to not miss a penalty, he wasn't on the pitch to help set up the first goal. So, yeah. Good stuff. Um, so, final question then, and this comes from a listener. So, it's at Politics Fatch on Twitter. So, what, what a lovely name that is. So, Politics Fatch's question is, do we keep Big Sam... In either division, not that you bunch lefties going to pick my question. Three laughing crying emojis. Who wants to dignify this one with a response? Um, I don't think that we do keep him in either division. Um, I don't think I don't. I, I don't see like I want to enjoy watching football. And I'm, I'm, Are you not enjoying I'm not this entirely, at the moment? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not entirely enjoy, enjoying. I'm enjoying talking with you guys. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not enjoying. Big Sam, I know that there was then, I've heard some things where it's kind of like, oh, he, he just talks sense, keep him. I'm like, he's, he's just saying things that he's said for 20 years every time that he's been in, the, in these sort of roles. No, I think we need to be aiming bigger, ever bigger than Big Sam. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we need we need a project. I don't think Sam Allardyce is at that point in his career where a project is something for him right now anyway as well. You know, he said he didn't want to be involved in a relegation battle next year if he was to stay on. Is kind of something he alluded to in his first press conference. Well, like we're probably going to be around the same area. We might be more like Bournemouth, which is what we were all expecting to be this year. We were hoping to be this year was what Bournemouth are this year in that sense. Like they were in and around it, and then now they're miles clear. And I think are they above Chelsea? Did they go above Chelsea at um, one point? I think are Chelsea not above them? Oh, no, or is it Palace who went above them? Anyway, yeah, yeah. Like I think that that's kind of where we want to be looking at next year. But that's still going to have that 
at some point during the season, we may be flirting with that bottom four or five, and we have to be realistic with that. Um, and I think we want someone to come in next year if we're in the Premier League who is understanding of that and then is ready to take to say, yeah, that's where we're going to be. And then the season after, we might be there again, but this time we're not going to flirt in the bottom five. And then the season after, and then you build on you build on that and you have a person come in who will try and do the rebuild that we need. Yeah. There's no point bringing someone like Allardyce in for probably a year to then have a squad which is going to be probably a bit messier than it is now because we won't have built it for this project and idea. And the same if we go down. If we go down, we want to do a similar rebuild of a guy, someone who's got a project to take. And that's also where we need to sort out a direction of football, first and foremost, as well, to have that idea of, okay, how do we want to play? How What's going to be our philosophy going forward? Um, so the question is, do we keep the exam? No. Um, but us bunch of lefties did pick the question. Yep. Martin, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah. Um... No, okay. <laughs> no, no, but I'll add more. I'll add more. Uh, no, I don't think we should be keeping Big Sam. Um, even if we got dropped down to the championship, um, I don't think this style of football is generally going to work as well to get a team promoted as what it may have done at one point in the past. Um, we've tried to get promoted with that sort of football in the championship before when we had Neil Warnock, and that went well, didn't it? We He got us prom- promoted, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That's how it ended. That's, that's, that's what I thought so. Um, there's, there's definitely no one called Marcelo Bielsa who got us playing some of the best football that the championship's ever seen. No, that, that didn't happen. No. Um, but yes, no, I don't want to see Bielsa Big Sam after this season. Um, he, if he does keep us up, well done. He'll take his two and a half million or whatever it is and be on his way to be eating lots and lots of sausages and gravy. But no, um, I don't want to see him either division. And yes, us lefties did pick your question, Fatch. Yes. Yeah, I think um, I think it, when it was kind of in Leeds' first year up, that I can't remember who said it now, but it was the fact that if you come up or st- or like are at the bottom playing defensive football, there is a cap to the level you can get to, and it's hard to progress beyond that because at some point you've got to learn how to have an in possession structure. And if you commit to this hard style that's the play, like you might keep yourself in the league next year, but at some point you've got to make that jump. So what's the point in keeping Big Sam? Because like you may as well just make the jump now because we'll be rubbish either way. So, like, why not give it a go? Um, that's all I say on that one. But, yeah, to finally end that is I, I just hope there's as much chance of us keeping Big Sam as there is of that just uh, crawling out of hell. But um, <laughs> let's end the interrogation there um, and move on to the West Ham preview. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So, um, oh, my, sorry, my running order just got a bit mental. So, um, who wants to tell us how West Ham are playing under David Moyes at the moment? I'll come to you, Tom, because you've got West Ham on in the background. So, do you have any inkling on how West Ham play? Yeah, they uh, usually set up in like 4 2 3 1. Um, I was watching the. I was trying to watch the Brentford game, and then my internet cut out before, uh, before I could actually watch much of it. But it seemed like the amount of changes that they made made them a little bit disorganised. So depending on what happens tonight, it's still nil nil as I speak. Um, we could be seeing a lot of rested players again on Sunday. Um, and they they looked really passive. I think I don't. I know that. It was discussed that they brought in a lot of players where it looked like they were trying to make that next step towards a possession football because Moyes kind of overachieved with his defensive, having that defensive structure. Um, I know John's spoken about it on TIFO before, um, saying that he thinks that that's kind of where Moyes has, has tripped over on trying to bring in this next step. And so, yeah, I think Martin probably has a bit more on exactly how they play, but uh, they look kind of like what they tried to do against Brentford was press them high and then they were a little bit disjointed and get, getting caught out in the wings. Um, so if we've got Harrison and another winger who could be Nyonto or something, I don't know if, but I, I don't like Nyonto on the right. That that could be something that we see. Yeah. M- Martin, um, you've watched West Ham, right? So have you you've got any thoughts on the way they might set up anything different from what Tom said? Uh, well, yeah, I've got a few, few things. Um, yeah, like, like Tom said, it's a 4 2 3 1 which to play. Um, probably their most. Their, Best team or most played team. Um, it looks something like uh, Fabianski in goal, Kufal at right back, Aguard and Zuma or Kera, um and Cresswell in the back line. Then Suchek and Rice in the middle. Um, Bowen, Paqueta and Thornals or Benrama maybe on, on the left and Antonio. But um, depending on how the game goes tonight against AZ, uh, that could look quite different. Um, we, could, we could see some players who don't get too, too many minutes. Um, players like, um, what's his name? Um, Lanzini, that's it. He, he could get, get played. He played in the game against Brentford. And we could see some also some other players there who don't get too many minutes. But yeah, uh, fingers crossed they do rest of a few of their more influential players. It would be helpful if, um, Suchek and Rice were both not playing. And also Ben Rama, because I think Ben Rama could cause us problems. Uh, but in regards to the way they play, they're generally a mid block with moments of high pressing. Uh, a lot of their creativity is from wide areas, from both fullbacks and wingers. But I do think the fullbacks are probably more involved, especially with crosses. Uh, Kufal and Cresswell have, have their most completed crosses for the season so far. Um, ben Rama has been very influential both at goal creation and ball progression from carries. So he, he will, will cause us problems if he does play. Set pieces, they are also very strong at. Um, they have scored, I think, 10 goals from set pieces this season, um, maybe 11. Um, but in the open play, they aren't that good. Uh, they've scored 38 goals in total this season, and only 21 of those have been from open play. So, right. <laughs> so, yeah. so yes, they are quite bad in open play. I think that's one of the biggest reasons why they haven't been able to do that well this season. Um, just something not going right um, I'm not sure if um, Skamaka has quite settled into the league well I know he's injured at the moment so he's one player who we won't see Skamaka because he scored that nice goal against us last time right 
So, so yeah. So it, I think he's he is a good player, and I think it, I'm, I'm not sure what's been going wrong with him as to not work. But yeah, it's just they've got some problems in their open play structure which aren't quite get generating goals. But they do generally make up for that with set pieces. So, and we know that we are liable to a set piece goal. So um, that could be a fun thing to watch. Also, one thing I, one thing I noticed from the stats and I found on the stat was that they seem to struggle early in games. Uh, between the first and the fifteenth minute, they have an xG differential of minus three point five five, which is their worst time period in the match. Um, so, if we, if we look to get some counterattacks in early, that could be a good, a good thing for us to try to get an early goal. Um, but yeah, that's about all. Maybe also they do struggle dealing with transitional attacks and being pressed. So um, if we can press them in moments, no, we're not likely to see anything really high pressy. But if we can get some, maybe some blocking of passing lanes going, that could be helpful. Yeah, perhaps we might see that. Like sometimes players just choose to do that. That might be our best, best chance of that happening. Um, yeah, Jesse Marsh's head um, words are heard in their in their head, and they they remember to actually run at a ball um, high up the pitch. Pumping and shifting, um, yeah. Pumping and shifting. Exactly that. Um, but yeah, good stuff. Thanks for that, guys. I guess we're wanting a- AZ to, to win 1-0 and then go to extra time and just get make West Ham knackered. That, that's that's the hope because then, as Mike was saying regarding they they don't do quite well under pressing, then you're going to possibly have their second-choice defenders starting and, you know, if we press them, they're going to be worse than their first choice and that pressing and getting pressed in that sense you'd expect. Um, and yeah, and it's worth saying that Noble was on before the game kicked off um, for BT. Mark Noble, the sporting director of West Ham, West Ham legend, captain leader. Um, he was saying that basically they, they feel like they've got the league sewn up as in they're safe and everything is now focused on Europa League success. So as long as they do go through tonight, I think we will see some players rested to make sure that they're okay for the final. Yeah. Okay, I mean, we're, we're talking about these possibilities when by the time people listen to this, they will know the result anyway. Um, we will know, yeah. Yeah, but I guess what we don't want is... we finish recording, we might as well. Yeah, I, I guess um, we don't want AZ to win then. It's probably the the, well, the result of that conversation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you'll all know anyway. So we're sorry we've wasted your time for about five minutes. So uh, let's let's talk about the Leeds lineup. So, um, Martin, can you see any changes in shape or tactics for this game? Um, Tactics-wise... Probably not. Maybe a little bit more high pressing, but um, this isn't a away game, right? We're play- is at West Ham, yes. is that right? Yeah. So I can't, I can't see it being anything too adventurous. So no, I don't think there'll be any major differences to the way we set up against Newcastle. Um, but lineup wise, I think we'll probably see Farshaw come into the game as long as he's well and able to play, because um, I think Allardyce mentions before the game that that that's the reason why he didn't start was because he wasn't fit. I do think that he is one of his one of the favoured midfielders for him. And regards to the attacking lineup, um, I don't think much difference will change there. I'd imagine Rodrigo will play again in right midfield, and probably Harrison on the left. But he probably likes his work rate, so I don't think there'll be too much difference in lineup either. Um, so I'm hoping we don't see someone like Brendan Aronson. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, we'll see what differences there are. But I can't see anything major unless there's been some injuries that we aren't aware of. But yeah, we'll find out tomorrow when we see his presser. Yeah, if I had to um, to make you guess a lineup, Tom, what would you go for? I'd probably say Greenwood comes out and Forshaw comes in, and he maybe goes Verber at left back and strike it. Or if Cooper's fit, which I'm not sure if he will be or not, but otherwise he'll probably go strike it 
um, left centre back. And imagine, even though we would thought that maybe he was done under Allardyce after giving away a penalty in his first game, I don't see what else he could do unless he decides to keep Greenwood and drop Koch into centre back and play him at left centre back, and then um, he keeps Greenwood for sure and McKenney as the middle three. In that sense, that I guess that's a possibility as well. But that's the one which I would want him to do in that, in that sense. Yeah, I don't. I don't want Greenwood on the pitch to start the game. Maybe at the end of the no, game, but I, no. I, I was. I think someone said that I was being a bit harsh on Greenwood at the weekend. He said towards me, and um, given how harsh other people have been towards other players, I was. Being <laughs> harsh no, you you were being quite pleasant in comparison. So you weren't at his house this weekend at no. all. No, okay. No. I guess that's all right then. I mean, I mean, Greenwood completed two passes in that half. Two. So I think it's perfectly fair to say that he had a bad game, and I don't think you were overly harsh now. Yeah, I when when I first watched, like I did think he played badly, but I was like, oh, he's done a couple of all right things there. But I think the bar's so low that I was like, oh, he's he's done something that I'd, I'd expect a professional footballer to do. So maybe I was too generous, and I needed to level mine down and go around his house and throw eggs at him or something. Um, <laughs> somewhere in the middle of the two, Martin, you kind of, I've kind of gone through your lineup already, but. I guess you're saying like for sure in for Greenwood and then mostly the same. Yeah, the, I'm not too sure what he's going to do with um, left back. Obviously, with Furpo being out now, who, who was it who played left back against City? Well, was it Werber? I think it was Werber, wasn't it? I think he moved to left back. Yeah. at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So that I think potentially will, will be Werber who goes there with um, with Strauch coming in at centre back. Um, I don't think he'll move Cock from midfield. I think he. It seemed like he had a game which Aldice would have approved of. He did. Yeah, he did. I, I really thought he did okay with some of that. Yeah. I wanted to watch on the rewatch, and I thought his recoveries and his positioning for where he needed to be was good. Yeah. Um, and he made he made sure after after the first ten minutes, um, there were times where we dropped really deep in the midfield, and we left that space at the edge of the box that we've seen all season. And Cock kind of took control of that a little bit in later on in the game, in especially the second half, and made sure that him and McKenney and Forshaw were, maybe it was Forshaw that took all of it, but they were on the edge of the box for those, not leaving that acres of space around the uh, around the D. So yeah, I'd like, I think Cock played really well in that position there. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think that's another thing which was changed I think, from the from last game, was that we didn't have the midfielders dropping in between the full-back and centre-back, which caused that problem with the space being given at the edge of the box. So I'd imagine they all got a pretty heavy balking about those two goals. So yeah. Yep, agree with all that. Um, let's move on to the tactical issues then. So, um, Tom, you kind of hinted at a couple of potential touch um, places where we can hurt them, though. But uh, do you want to go through those in a bit more detail? Yeah. So the the back four play quite narrow um, and compact, which is obviously something which Moyes has built this West Ham team on for success originally. Um, so there was a lot of switches and balls from inside centre because. They made it really stodgy for Brentford, from what I could see, to get through the middle, and then there was just space on the wings. I don't think Bamford will get much joy against any of the back four, any of the back two of the two of the four that could play centre back, because I think West Ham's centre backs are quite strong centre backs as well. So I think that'll be where we'd probably be looking at is the wings for us. Yeah, Martin, you agree with that? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. There's, I think. Probably the best way for us to maybe hurt them um, is pr- probably just 
by getting it quickly to, to the wide areas. I know it's quite what we're going to do anyway, but like like you, like Tom mentioned there, that um, their defense is quite compact. So if, if we can switch the ball quickly to the opposite side, we, we should be able to get some joy and maybe get one of their fullback isolated against one of our wingers, depending on what side what side it's at. I think this could be a good game for Rodrigo, especially if because um, their left back, I think they've been playing. Emerson Palmieri and he gets forward quite often so I think that this could be a good game for Rodrigo to make the most of his I know he's, he doesn't have loads of pace but I do think he has a reasonable amount and I think he will be able to get in behind that right side with frequency if we do look to use him in that way because he's good in, the, in a counter-attacking system he was great on in when he was at Valencia I think he played a lot on, on the right, right wing there so that's something I'm hoping to see. Um, how do you see this game playing out then, Martin? I could see an early goal. I'm, I'm not sure who, who, who it's going to be for. Hopefully for us, like like I mentioned before, um, West Ham do seem a bit shaky at the start of games. So hopefully an early goal for us. They keep hold of the ball mo- most of the time, and so we will. We'll I think we'll be happy to allow them the ball, um, even if that's not something which they want to necessarily do. It's just that'll be the way it'll end up because we we won't be pressing that massively high, I don't think, especially if we get an early goal. So uh, it, they'll be trying the best to break, break us down. Hopefully we, we can stay strong the same way that we did with Newcastle, not allow too many uh, decent chances and hopefully this time avoid giving away any penalties. That would be great. Just not even not even one. I know one would be better than two, but but just no, no penalties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No penalties. Yeah, we've been we've been more defensively solid and given away three penalties in two games. So you know, that's what Big Sam brought for me. <laughs> the penalties and the uh, gravy. Um, yeah. Tom, where do you see this game being won or lost? Then, um, yeah, probably within that first first fifteen minutes. I think key not to concede ourselves, and if we can get the goal there in that early months. Um, yeah, I think I think really the game could be won or lost depending on what happens tonight as well. In, in that sense, um, if they go out, they might want revenge in that sense, and then to prove themselves a little. If, if they go through, then they might just get a rest. So they, it sounds like they're on the beach when it comes to the league as well. So it, it could be just one or lost on where West Ham's head, heads are at. Martin, anything to add there? Um, no, there's, there's not really too much to say other, other than that. If they do rest players, and maybe even if they get a bit of a heavy heavy beaten by AZ. I know it's not too likely, but you never know that it could make their heads drop a bit. That that was the one joy they had left in the season was the Europa League one and, and it may crush them a little bit. I mean, I don't want them to be crushed. That's, that's cruel, but <laughs> needs must at the moment. So if we, if we can get a bit of a, a mental gap and hopefully we can be better in that sense and we clearly should be up for this game more than what they are. So we should be getting to the, to the second balls with more eagerness. We should be pre- getting more aggressively to any time when they are loose with the ball. It should be everything should be more aggressive <coughs> than what they do. So I think that will be a big thing as well. Is how much how up for it both teams are. Hopefully that should be us. Good stuff. Um, so that ends the preview of the West Ham game. Then um, we will be back early next week. I imagine depending on um, availability of podcasters but um in the meantime i will say thank you to tom thank you very much thank you to martin thank you thank you all for listening and we will see you next week enjoy the game bye
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.